for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. This um, passage today, if you ever pay attention to the book of James and the way we're working through it, is one. It's just not fair. I, I can't even tell you how unfair <laughs> this passage is because James is not quoting uh, uh, when we read this verse just what James says. We're not just quoting what James says because Jesus also said this: "Let your yes be yes, and your no be no." So, it is one of those things where we talked about how J- James, for a while, didn't like Jesus. Was even though they were half brothers, that he just didn't have anything to do with him. But he changed his mind later on after the latter rain came through when Jesus' resurrection, and uh, James became obviously a very strong um, believer. And he remembered what Jesus had said. And this is this is a quote we're going to get to in a little bit from Matthew, and during the Sermon on the Mount. Now, that's really important for me to tell you that because this phrase that James quotes here from Jesus is from the Sermon on the Mount when James did not believe his brother was the Messiah or the Christ or the Son of God. And when he didn't believe that, that means other people translated or transferred these words back and forward to each other and repeated these things. And I I don't think that Jesus was a bad leader. I think He was a good leader. So I think He repeated His lessons many times. We we learn as good leaders that we should repeat things. And Jesus did. And so sooner or later, these words fell on James' ears, whether directly from Jesus or from someone who had heard them and passed them on. We do know that the Gospels, that the early version of the Gospels, these words were available to James long before he passed away. So we know that the words that James quotes from Jesus were readily accessible to him in one form or another. What I'm trying to say is at one point, he didn't care about these words. But now he did. And that's important. And it's basically a command. Now we we look at it as maybe a practical suggestion, a spiritually good idea. But it's actually a command. And that's why I said to you that the above all is a number one most important thing he says in all his epistles. In other words, he's been working toward this verse. And, and I didn't understand why this verse is more important than, you know, uh, don't be just doers, uh, hearers of the word, but doers also. Don't forget who you are in Christ. Uh, tame your tongue. But this one he said is above all of that. And I thought, now how is that possible? Well, we're going to look at this command and there are four distinct features to it. The first one is it has a distinction. The second, it has a restriction. The third, it has an instruction. And the fourth, it has a motivation all in one verse. So let's look at those four distinct features of it. And the first one is the distinction, which is above all. Above all, my brethren. That is the distinction, who he's talking to and what he's talking about and why. Now, again, I said this is the most important thing he's saying in here, even though he's talked about faith and resisting the devil and drawing near to God. He said all those things, and yet here he comes and says, now listen, 
All that's great. And you need to do those things. But here's the icing on the cake. And so when he says that to the people who are listening, they understand exactly what he's saying. When we hear, but above all, we just go, okay, whatever. We kind of gloss over it. But in their understanding, those words which are translated above all mean, this is the heart of what I'm saying to you. I've said it all to build up to this. And next week when we look at verse 13, a great Lenten verse is a part of this as well. But this is the framework of everything else. And we'll get to that. So the distinction who it's to and why is because this is important. And if you don't get this, you miss all the rest. Now, James is going to talk about here speaking, you know, making an oath and saying yes and no. But if you remember earlier, he said, your tongue is a problem. In every chapter up to this one, and so that means in every chapter in the book of James, he has something to do with how we speak, what our words, what our mouth imply, and things like that. So he's always talking about our words. Now that's important. And don't forget that. But above all, he says, this is what you need to do. And so this is the restriction. Do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Now, please understand, even they knew that in a law of court that you would take an oath to tell the truth. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about how people would say in that day and time and in our day and time, they would say, I swear by God that I am telling you the truth. Sometimes they would say, I swear by the altar in the temple. Or I swear by the bread on the altar. Or I swear by this, that this is the truth. The problem was, and which we'll see in Jesus' words in a few moments, was what they were honoring was not God. They were not honoring the truth. They were honoring the, the earthly representation, but not God. And there's a problem with that. And, and the reason why that's a problem is because if you swear and don't keep it or have no intent to keep it or make an oath with someone or a promise and then break it, it's called taking God's name in vain. No, you say, oh, but, but no, 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 no. I didn't say God's name. I didn't say I swear by God. I said, I promise, you know, with all I am. Well, with all you are is from God. And everything you could ever promise by, God's hand is in. And so if you're promising by anything in this creation or the world to come, you have spoken something about God's majesty and creativity. And so ultimately, you are taking God at His face value and saying it. We say a lot of idle words, don't we? I don't know how many people you've ever asked to come to church. Say, yeah, I'll come. I'll see you Sunday. And they don't show up. They're just being nice. Polite, but they're also lying to us when they say that. If they have no intent to come and they say, I promise I'll be there this Sunday, right? I've heard, do you know how many times a preacher hears that in a week? As many times as he asks for people who don't come. I'll be there this Sunday. No, I won't. If they told the truth, right, and their words had integrity, they would say the truth. 
but they don't want to offend somebody. They don't want to hurt feelings. They don't want to tell people no. Why do we do this? It's not because we want to don't not. Let me try that again. It's not because we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. It's because we don't want people to think bad of us. It's not about their feelings at all. Yeah, I'll try and do what I can, but what we're doing is saying, I don't want you to think bad of me, so I'm not going to tell you what my real intent is. The fact of the matter is, and this is the truth, if you had a son or a daughter or anyone else you were raising, bringing up, or a teacher with students, and they were doing something wrong, you're not worried about offending them if you tell them the truth about their behavior. So if they say, yes, I'm going to do my homework, and they don't, are you going to say, well, I don't want to hurt them and hold them accountable for doing their homework? Really? No. It's about whether or not you want them to grow up and be mature, to be honest with them. And so James is saying that the restriction here is do not swear. Do not make a promise by heaven or by earth or with an oath that binds you that you're not willing to keep. The fact of the matter is that a Christian's yes and a Christian's no should be all they need for integrity to be bound by it. Should be that way. Why? Because the instruction is let your yes be yes and your no a no. Got another uh, translation for you. Glenn, if you can pull it up. It's the next uh, slide. It talks about it this way. Since you know that God cares, let your language show it. Don't add words like, I swear to God, to your own words. Don't show your impatience by concocting oaths to hurry up God. Just say yes or no. Just say what is true. That way your language can't be used against you. And on the next screen I have another translation. It says it just a little different. And I think you'll appreciate this one as well. Above all of this, we must... Be those who never need to verify our speech is truthful by swearing by the heavens or the earth or any other oath to verify it. To give us credibility is what we do sometimes. But instead we must be so full of integrity, and there's that word, that our yes or no is convincing enough and we do not need to stumble into hypocrisy. If someone says they want to do something and they are a member or a believer in Jesus Christ, that they are going to do something, that is their binding word. And if it's not reliable, then what we are saying is that we have not told the truth. James's instruction is, say yes if you mean yes. Say no if you mean no. Don't hang out in the middle ground and say something to be nice or placate. Why? Remember James was talking about double-minded people earlier? Uh, where they... Where they say one thing and then they make up their mind and they, they say another thing and they try to do both and they can't do either one because they're divided. This is what people pleasers do. They say something to please somebody, but their intent is to do this other thing. So they come across as what we call one face here, one face there. That gives us two faces. We call them two-faced. So if you're going to say something that you're going to do, do it. If you're not going to do it, don't say you are. That's what James is saying. I have a nice little description of those who don't do that. They are double-minded, placating people-pleasers. I was going to call the sermon that, but it was too long to type. Double-minded, placating people-pleasers. Maybe you've met some. 
They don't want people to be upset with them. So they're always agreeing, condescending, but they also don't become reliable. They never follow through. Yes, I'm going to help you. And they, last you heard, oh, but they sounded nice. And they said it in front of other people to look good. But again, they didn't follow through. Their yes was a no. How can you ever rely on someone whose yes is a no? Or whose no is a yes? How can you? You don't know what they're going to do. That's why in Corinthians it says, all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. And in Him they are amen. Which means they are what they are. They're established and true. They are God's promises and they follow through in Christ completely. God doesn't put a no on top of a yes. God always says what He means. And this is what's funny. When God says something in His Word later on, He doesn't go, well, I didn't mean that. No, I'm just kidding. I don't always tell the truth. Don't always listen to your prayers. No, but we attach that, don't we? Well, God doesn't really care because of this. God can't be loving because He does this. God is like this because He does that. But God never said He was that way and neither did the Scripture reveal Him that way. We just wanted to put our meaning on it and change God's yes to a no or His no to a yes. And you can't do that either because it won't work because God will not be mocked. So James gives us this instruction, let your yes be yes and make your no a no. Even, and here's the funny thing about that. The first time if you're a placating people pleaser, double-minded in all that you do, and you start going, no, I can't do that. You're going to go, oh, I just feel so bad. They're, they're going to hate me. They're going to think I'm not a nice person. I feel so guilty for saying no. Anybody here like that? Come on. There's a lot. Of, do you know anybody like that? Is that even easier question to answer? I know lots of people like that. And sometimes the guy in the mirror makes me so frustrated. I said, did you mean no when you said yes? And I went, I don't know. <laughs> so, so ambivalent sometimes, are we? That's what I say to myself. You're just so ambivalent. Why don't you make up my mind? And that's to the guy in the mirror. But could you imagine that we are double-minded and we don't even think about it, whether our words have weight. Whether the truth which we're not willing to say because of how it makes us feel should be said instead. No matter how it makes us feel. And James says, quite clearly, say yes if you mean yes. Say no if you mean no. And, and listen to how Jesus does this. It's in Matthew. And you want to pull that up for us, Glenn? It's right there. But I want to pull this up. It's such a cool way Jesus does this. He, um, he doesn't just play around either. He says it like this. Again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. Now, here's what's going on with them. That you make an oath to the Lord, but you must tell it truthfully in front of the priests, in the temple, and you must perform those oaths. That's how they set up their system. And it was a valid way of life for them. And this is how they did things. Two people would make an agreement. They'd come to the priest and they'd say, I swear before the Lord that I'm going to do this for this person. And they didn't write it down. They didn't make a contract. They just swore it to God before the 
priests. And he said, therefore, don't swear falsely, but perform that oath you said. Since there is no written record, the word and the oath before God was all they had. It was kind of like the opposite of what we say now. Uh, yes, trust your friends in business, but get it in writing. We always say it in business, and it's a very uncomfortable thing because we should be able to trust our friends that what they say they'll do. But in business and money, other things like greed and uh, selfishness and other things fall into play, and people get hurt and lose friendships over it all the time. I've seen it happen over and over again in this world. And it's because we can't let our yes be yes and our no be no and our word isn't good. Well, maybe ours is, but theirs isn't. Or maybe theirs is and ours isn't. Just depends on the situation, doesn't it? And then when we break our word or a promise to someone, we say, too bad for you. Shouldn't have trusted me. And we, we pass it off like that. And we lose integrity. But Jesus doesn't just say, you shall perform your oaths that you made. And that that's what they said. But they went on further and they said, but I say to you, this is what Jesus says, do not swear at all. Now, I don't mean cuss words and swear words. I, he mean, do not swear. Do not make a promise at all. Neither by heaven, for that is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it's his footstool. Nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. In other words, everything you could promise and swear by and lay that oath against is part of God's creation, which I mentioned earlier. In 36, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. In other words, they would say, I swear on my head, which means my life. You can't change your life. You can't make who you are different. You have no control over those things. But verse 37, here's James. But let your yes be yes and your no, no. There it is, right there. Quoted directly into James from Jesus. For whatever is more than this is from the evil one. Oh, no, no, I had good intentions. <laughs> you listen to last Sunday's sermon if you think good intentions are good. James just blew that out of the water last week. And so good intentions are not what we're after. We're after God intentions. And so I wanted to share with you that instruction that if your yes is yes, say it. If it's no, say it. Do not be afraid or ashamed of your yes or your no. But if you don't know what your answer is, say so. I don't know if I can do that or not. I will get back to you. That is a fair answer. It's not placating. It's not lying. It's not establishing one way or another. I don't know if I can do that. I will get back to you. You know what's interesting? Most of the people you say that to are going to say, okay, thank you. When can I expect to hear from you about this? Now, if you say, I don't know, let me get back to you, you've just put a promise on yourself that you will get back to them. You did. That means they don't have to chase you down. You have to find them and keep your word. A lot of people won't do that either. It's another way of blowing someone off. I've been in sales. I know this, how the story goes. I've been told storyline after storyline. Salesman after salesman. And we all know how much we love salesmen. 
used car salesman. That's the last thing I'll ever say I'll ever be. If they ever make me a used car salesman, that's the day I lose my credibility as a pastor. Yeah. Or maybe the first used car salesman that's honest. I don't know how that works. But I will say this, that if you do not keep your word, you are creating evil in your life. So say it straight. Now, if someone says to you those words, I will get back to you. Would that be something you go, no, no, I have to have an answer now. Or is that okay? Usually it's okay if, because if someone demands an answer from you right now, they're either controlling or they're desperate or they're in an emergency situation. And if that's the case, you, they need an answer then. If they're in an emergency situation. Yeah, my car's uh, pulled over on the side of the road and uh, traffic all around. Can you come give me a, a, a jump or a, help me change my tire or bring a jack? And Well, let me get back to you. Yes, maybe. I don't know. That person in that situation does not need ambivalence from you. They need, I'll be there in 10 minutes. And you be there in 10 minutes. Or, no, I can't, but I know someone who can. Or, no, I don't, I'm not in a position to do that. Please ask somebody else. I'm sorry. Let your truth be told. And if you're not comfortable with your truth, even though you have to share it because it's a command of the Lord, who's that on? That you're uncomfortable with the truth. It's not God's problem that you have trouble with the truth. It's your own. But the truth is still the truth, isn't it? Sure it is. So that's the instruction. Keep a yes to your yes and a no to a no. Don't add stuff. Don't take away from it. Just keep it straightforward and simple. You ever heard the phrase, keep it simple? Keep it simple, saints. <laughs> that's the way it means. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, saints. I'm going to use it that way from now on, by the way. So the last one is the motivation. Oof. And that motivation in verse 12 is, lest you fall into judgment. Now this judgment is a lot different than the kinds of judgment where we come across in New Testament where it means someone's going to think bad of you. Or people are going to look on your characters improper and that kind of judgment. This is not that kind of judgment. If it was, this wouldn't be an important verse. It would just be you know, public shame and honor thing. But here in this verse where he says, lest you fall into judgment. The word there is the kind of judgment that's eternal fire and damnation judgment. It's God judgment end of time stuff. That kind of judgment. You know, wait a minute. How can that be possible? All I did was said, you know, I, I, I didn't want to, I said yes, but I didn't do it. Or I, I, yes, I'll come, but I didn't show up. How's that going to bring me eternal judgment? Because you're carrying the character of God within you as a believer. And if you carry that character of God within you as a believer, you speak the truth in love. If you don't do that, you're not walking as a believer and you don't have a character in nature of Jesus Christ floating all over you. And that means you don't belong. If you don't speak the truth of God, wherever you go and what you do, you've become double-minded, two-faced, or one-faced in one place, and you're faking it in the other. 
A true believer speaks the truth of God in their life. And they don't hold back because they don't want to hurt people's feelings. Now you say, but, but there's some times when you shouldn't say things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what you intend to do. Your actions that you say you will do. That's different. But if you say you're going to do something in the name of Jesus, when you say, I'm going to do this, you're saying, in the name of Jesus, I will. And Lord willing, I will. Not if I feel good, not if I'm up to it. Because as believers, we need to be faithful to keep what we say. Now, here's one thing, though. We can't do everything. Nobody can do everything. But unfortunately, we can all say anything we want. But we need to say that what we can do and what we do say about what we can do and will do is the same. If you don't know yourself well enough to do that, now's the time to figure it out. During Lent, sacrifice that party that wants to say, I'm going to take on everything and not do it. Learn to say no and learn to say yes and then follow through. <laughs> I had a interesting situation about a year and a, or so ago. I had, a, I guess it was in like October of, what year is this? I can't even remember. Of 2018. I was driving bus 249 and two boys ride the bus on that bus route during wrestling season at the end of the route, over to the high school, because that's where they practice wrestling. The high school, that's where the wrestling stuff is. And these two boys would ride the bus three days a week over to the high school. The only two kids on the bus that were going over there when I go to pick up the high school boys and bring them back to Lone Oak at that time. Now, that's how the shuttle works, right? Well, one day I look up in the mirror and they're jumping over seats, hopping from one seat to another, and I looked up and I said, y'all need to stay in your seats. You stay in right now and don't get out of them. And they said, yes, sir, okay. And I said, do you promise? And one boy said, I promise, sir. I'll never do it again. A few weeks later, I didn't have him on the bus. And now I'm on a different route. And when I got this route, I went, oh, good, I don't have that kid. Turns out he moved. He's on my bus. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe I can teach him to keep his word. Because this week, he kept getting out of his seat. And I was saying, you need to stay in your seat, sir. And he said, well, I'm trying to, but you know, I just got to do this, I got to do that. And when he's getting off the bus, I called him and I said, do you remember last year on that trip to the high school, you promised me you would never, ever get out of your seat again. You made that promise he said, ah, yeah, I remember. And I said, well, you're not keeping. He said, I had my fingers crossed. That's what he said. I said, I don't care if you had your legs crossed. You gave a promise. And your fingers crossed don't change your words. And I didn't see it. And your hand was in the air to me. I promise, sir. I will never do it again. And you can't excuse it by saying, I had my fingers crossed. I had an out. As believers, we try to do that. We try to have a way out when we make a way in. We have a plan B when we don't even commit to plan A. And so our yes is never yes. And our no is never no. And nobody knows what we're standing for. And it sounds like a seventh grader. 
who says, I have an excuse where I don't have to do what I say. No, he doesn't have an excuse. And I told him so. I said, your word is your word regardless. Your fingers have nothing to do with what comes out of your mouth. And he looked at me and said, you're impossible. And I looked at him and I said, and you got rode up today too. <laughs> he said, I don't want to ride this bus anymore. And I said, that would be just fine, wouldn't it? You'd like that, wouldn't you? I didn't tell him what my thought was, but that was my thought. And I said to him, I said, you'd like that, wouldn't you? It'd be just fine, huh? Guess what? He's been sitting in his seat ever since. And when he starts to get up, he remembers his promise now. Why? Because someone held him accountable. Do you want the accountability on the day of judgment? Or do you want it today? When do you want it? You're going to have to answer for what you say. Truthful or not. How you represent God in your conversations. That's why this is so big. Because your words represent your nature of relationship with God. And if they're not consistent with the gospel and the truth, then you are not of the truth. Jesus even says, He who lies or misrepresents the truth is from the father of lies. And God has nothing to do with them on the day of judgment. He says, get out of here. I didn't know you. You lied. You said things that weren't true about me. You misrepresented me. Why would I want you a part of this if you can't be faithful in a little thing? No, I won't be there Sunday, Pastor. I want to sleep in. I've heard that once and I went and I grabbed their neck and I hugged them and I said, thank you. And they said, why did you thank me? And I said, because you were honest. You didn't try to please me. You spoke the truth. And it was so refreshing to hear that it shocked me. And I said, thank you for that. I know that now you will say the truth to me in any situation. And I can trust you. You know what happened with that person? We became friends. And they became faithful and became Christian because of that. Do you know how often that happens that people give you this refreshing breath of truth and, and you go, wow, that's different. It's supposed to be every day for us as believers like that. Speaking into a world that doesn't know how to tell the truth. You want lies? Listen to politicians. You want lies? Listen to salespeople trying to tell you this product's going to make your life better. Take away your pain. The financial markets invest and lose it all. You know, they don't say that part. Buy stock now while it's going down. Buy it while it's high. Buy it because nobody else will. Do what I say because it profits me. All the lies, and we expect that all the people around us are buying into the same mindset, but God says we'll be stood apart as believers if we have integrity in what we say. Now, do you understand why James is so saying this is the most important thing that our words got to line up with our lives? Don't add, don't take away. Basically, he's saying we blaspheme when we make an empty oath. It's the same thing as saying eternal damnation. The same thing as saying I have an unregenerate, 
unrepentant heart. I'm still not willing to walk the way God asks me to. That's tough. It means I'm a liar. It also means I'm taking God's name in vain. Powerful words from a man who didn't want to believe Jesus to begin with. But I have two things for you to do. I went through this message and I said, you, we got to do something. We got to do something to make sure that this isn't just a nice idea, that there's application for our lives. And I have two things and I think they're easy to remember. If you've done a Lenten commitment card and encourage you to get another one, I encourage you to do it on the front of it. And write down your commitment that you're going to say yes when you mean yes and no when you mean no. And not put anything in between that isn't half truth. And just write it down. And if you want to face out that we'll pray over that you keep that commitment, put it on the cross. We'll pray for you every time we see it there during our prayer services. We will. We promise to do that for you. To partner with you in that commitment. To have integrity in your speech. And here's the second thing. Now, first of all, like I said, write it down. Second thing, ask a family member or a friend to keep your words accountable. Um, that's the hard one. Because that means you think they're going to say, when you say something that's not true, that they're going to go, ah, you shouldn't have done that. That's not what they're supposed to do if they're keeping you accountable. If they're keeping you accountable, you're going to say to them, hey, this day I didn't do so good. And if they ask you, how's it going with your, with your speech? You can say truthfully, I, I, my yes was a no today. Pray for me. That makes us uncomfortable to be accountable. But it's either now or in the day of judgment. Which one do you want cleaned up when? Which one do you want the junk burned out of your life? And when do you want that fire to consume you? At the end or now? To get the chaff out. That's what James is saying. This is huge. Our words destroy. Our words can bless. Our words can heal. But they can also say things that aren't true, but we want to be nice. Let's stop doing that today. Let's start being truthful with one another and in our words and with ourselves. And we look in the mirror and say, we agree on the same things. And we speak those things we agree on. Lent is a time of repentance, self-denial, drawing near to God and asking Him to work in our lives to make us more like Christ. If this message has not touched you somewhere, either, either you're really strong in integrity in every aspect of your life, or you're not wanting to hear it. One of those two. Because all of us need to be faithful with our yeses and faithful with our noes. And if you're not, this altar today is going to be open for you. And the song I've selected today is called Lead Me to Calvary because this is the way to Calvary. To come before God openly and say, God, I have trouble with this. I need your help. I'm going to enlist someone today I'm going to ask them to help me be accountable. And I'm going to write it down. I'm going to write it down and put it on the cross. And I'm going to take a reminder home with me that reminds me every single day I'm working on this. Because I want God to look at me and say, well done. 
Well done. Well done, beloved of my Father. You have spoken well. You have said well. And to close this message with the simple words of James, above all else, do this first. Pray with me.